Hello, this is Sam Liebens in the city of Haifa. I hope this finds you well and safe. Ezekiel 26, our chapter, contains a graphic prophecy of the destruction of the city of Tyre. The inhabitants of the city thought that they were going to prosper economically from the imminent destruction of Jerusalem. But, Ezekiel tells us, their gloating will be their downfall. Two things in particular are made quite clear. First, Nebuchadnezzar is going to come and destroy the city with his axes and his horses. He was going to slay the people of the city, demolish its walls, break down its buildings, toss the debris into the water. Secondly, we hear the threat of eternal destruction. Compounded by natural disaster, the sea would come to submerge the city. It would never again be resettled. In the closing words of the chapter, we're told that it will be sought, but the city of Tyre will never again be found. This chapter poses a number of problems. Tyre is a city in Lebanon. It's still there. We know that Nebuchadnezzar did make a move to vanquish Tyre. He besieged the city, but as Josephus records, the city, though subdued, was not conquered. Archaeological finds demonstrate that as a vassal state, Tyre continued to function. Its walls were not demolished. Its houses were not destroyed. Some of its nobility were exiled, but life went on after the siege, much as it had before. In fact, Ezekiel later relates to us that God seemingly changed his plan. In chapter 29, we'll read that the word of God came to Ezekiel saying, Son of man, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon has made his army expend vast labor on Tyre. Every head is rubbed bald and every shoulder scraped, but he and his army have had no return for the labor he expended on Tyre. Assuredly, thus said the Lord God, I will give the land of Egypt to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. He shall carry off her wealth and take her spoil and seize her booty, and she shall be the recompense of his army. Rabbi David Kimchi, the Radak, was unwilling to read these texts as an admission of some sort of change of plan. First of all, he argues in his comments to chapter 26, our chapter, that the modern-day Tyre is not to be equated with the Tyre of old. And in fact, that seems like a fair assertion. We know, again from archaeological records and remains, that Tyre was once a city not merely on the coast, but on two islands just off the coast of Lebanon. These islands are now connected to the mainland, although many parts have been submerged, just as Ezekiel prophesied. The tops of its submerged ruins can be seen easily in the shallow waters off the coast of Tyre, and they look like the naked rock that Ezekiel foresaw. According to Radak, old Tyre, the Tyre whose destruction Ezekiel prophesied, is the city that's under the sea. New Tyre, the Tyre that we know of today, didn't yet exist, according to the Radak. The simple reading of chapter 29 is that Nebuchadnezzar had failed to plunder the city of Tyre, and although they had done much damage, they hadn't been able to pillage its spoils so as to pay their soldiers. For that reason, God sent them off to Egypt. The Radak, however, true to form, reads things differently. Of course, the city was destroyed. Ezekiel said it would be. 
But because it was then submerged under the sea, the troops were unable to recoup any expenses. And that's why God sent them off to Egypt. It's an ingenious read, but I think it's much harder to sustain it now that we know from Josephus and other, and, and, and other records and surviving evidence that the city did survive the siege, even if parts of it were later to be submerged. It simply seems as if Ezekiel reported the impending destruction of Tyre and then later reported that God had called it off. We know, and indeed I've mentioned before on these recordings, that negative prophecies needn't come true. An unfulfilled negative prophecy doesn't render its message a false prophet. This is because people can repent, as the residents of Nineveh did, in response to the prophecy of impending doom delivered to it by Jonah. But there's no indication in, in our texts that the gloating residents of Tyre repented. So what are we to make of this change of plan? The 20th century Christian commentator on Ezekiel, Walter Zimmerli relates to these chapters in terms of a distinctive theology. Ezekiel's God, according to Zimmerli, is one whose plans are constantly subject to revision. In Zimmerli's words, God remains the master of history and also has the power freely to take back apparently unambiguous pronouncements or to let them fade into unimportance. So God can be trusted to guide history to its messianic future that he promises, but he is granted a good deal of flexibility in terms of how he steers us to that destination. This could explain why Ezekiel wasn't at all embarrassed to announce God's seemingly revised plans for Tyre in chapter 29. So to speak, that's just how God rolls. But I wanna suggest that already in chapter 26, at least as it was read by the rabbis, there's a hint that Tyre and Jerusalem are caught in a perilous relationship. One of these two cities can only prosper while the other suffers. And thus Ezekiel's words in chapter 26, unbeknownst to him, already hinted to the fact that Tyre would likely survive the destruction of Jerusalem and even perhaps go on to prosper. In the second verse of our chapter, Ezekiel reports the gloating words of Tyre as she awaited the destruction of Jerusalem. Aha! The gateway of the nations is broken. It has become mine. I shall be feel filled now that it is laid in ruins. Tractate Megillah in, in the Babylonian Talmud associates the city of Tyre with the nation of Edom and the nation of Edom with the Roman Empire. The city of Caesarea on the Mediterranean coast of Israel, as its name reveals, was a Roman outpost. And so in the rabbinic imagination, Tyre and Caesarea were twin cities. They were emblems of Edom. And so the Gemara teaches regarding Caesarea in Jerusalem. If someone says to you that both cities are destroyed, do not believe him. It's actually quite remarkable that the rabbi should have said that, given that Ezekiel told us in chapter 26 that Tyre, a substitute city for Caesarea, was to be destroyed just after Jerusalem. The Gemara continues, if someone says that they are both settled, i.e. in tranquility, do not believe him. If he says that Caesarea is destroyed and Jerusalem is settled, or that Jerusalem is destroyed and Caesarea is settled, then you can believe him. 
At this point, the Talmud brings its proof for this. Almost scandalously, it brings its proof from Ezekiel 26, our chapter. As it is stated, because Tyre has said against Jerusalem, aha, the gates of the people have been broken, she is turned to me, I shall be filled with her that is laid waste. The Talmud understands this verse to be teaching us that if this city is filled, then that one is laid waste. And if that city is filled, then this one is laid waste. On this text, the Maharshah, who wrote fabulous commentaries on, on the Talmud that, was, that are most useful for unpacking Agadic literature like this. He wrote that in this verse, Ezekiel is actually speaking in the name of the Phoenician city of Tyre, which stood to profit from the destruction of Jerusalem through increased trade. But the verse can also be taken to mean that Hashem will one day fill up Tyre, which is currently in ruin, ruins from the bounty of Jerusalem, which is currently filled. Thus, it's not entirely clear which of the two cities spoken of is the settled one and which is the destroyed one. According to the sages, this ambiguity is intentional. So I find this remarkable. The idea is that even as Ezekiel thought he was quoting the population of Tyre, his words contained an ambiguity. His words didn't make it explicit exactly which city was to be ruined and which one was to be filled. And this ambiguity communicated a fact that maybe Ezekiel didn't yet understand. Maybe God doesn't change his plans as quickly as Zimali thought, but maybe a prophet has to take some time before the meaning of his visions become clear. The Mahashar continues, the verse from the book of Genesis, and one nation will overcome the other, is similarly ambiguous, leaving unspecified which of the two nations will prevail. Therefore, the correct interpretation in both cases is that the fortunes of the two parties will vary inversely from one to the other throughout time. The verse in Genesis relates God's words to Rebekah about the twins in her womb, Jacob and Esau, forever associated in the rabbinic imagination with Israel and Rome. One would prevail over the other, but which one? The answer is both. There would be times where one would prevail and times when the other would prevail, but their condition for success would always be the failure of the other. And so the ambiguity of Ezekiel's words on behalf of Tyre echoed the ambiguity of God's words to Rebekah. And so, however vivid Ezekiel's visions may have been of the destruction of Tyre, it wasn't to be, and it couldn't have been. For if someone says to you that both cities are destroyed, the Talmud tells us not to believe it. What does Rome stand for? What does Israel stand for? Why can the two never prosper together? These questions are too difficult to address in these 10 minutes, which I've already pushed over, but it raises a challenging thought if you are able to prosper while innocent people are suffering, then are you actually on the right side of history? In 1941, Rabbi Eliezer Berkowitz, recent, who had recently escaped from Nazi Germany to the city of Leeds, delivered a sermon. And I want to end this recording with his words. There is a saying in the Talmud, which may help us. Referring to Caesarea, which was the headquarters of Rome in Judea, and Jerusalem, it runs, 
Do not believe people who tell you that they are happily settled together. Believe those who tell you that Caesarea is destroyed and Jerusalem peacefully established, or that Jerusalem is destroyed and Caesarea is established. In other words, Jerusalem and the symbol of evil and wickedness cannot exist side by side. Jerusalem cannot grow in a world in which wickedness is triumphant, as wickedness cannot flourish in a world in which Jerusalem is happy. The living space of our nation is freedom, truth, justice and peace. This is the explanation of the Jewish tragedy. The Jewish state was destroyed. We went into exile because there was no living space for us. No living space for justice and reason and humanity. This, however, is also the very root of our hope. For we know that one day the power of evil will be wiped out and living space on earth will mean decency on earth. This is all we need for Jewish happiness.